It's always first place soccer in Philadelphia. Your town, your team, your Philadelphia Union. Don't call it a smash and grab. Three goals and three points. Handing Minnesota United their first loss at the Allianz, as the British would say. Uh, The new Allianz Stadium up in Minnesota. And joining me to talk about it is a guy who's making his second appearance on the It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia program. A man who the last time we talked to him, he was down in the Pine Barrens in New Jersey and did not have great reception. But the reception is much better now. From Pro Soccer USA and the Union Soccer Podcast, it's Joe Tanzi. What's up, man? Hey, what's going on? I'm glad the, the audio is <laughs> so much better. I'm and, not huddled in like a, a high school gym before covering a game or something like that today. So. Yeah, I, I pictured you like in the middle of the woods, like a, a school that has like maybe 50 kids in its senior class. Uh, getting ready to cover like a swimming uh, match or something like that. So I said, we got to get Tansy on. I mean, that sounds that sounds about right for like February, March for me. So <laughs> With you and George, I never know what the hell you guys are doing. It's always like, a, you know, it's either like a swimming or a volleyball or, or George might be doing softball or something. I mean, there's really never a dull moment when you're doing high school sports, right? Uh, yeah, no, and you, you never know where you're going to drive either. that's true it's a nice thing about working from home for crossing broad uh but anyway that's not what we're here to talk about we're here to talk about your philadelphia union who are in first place and um i don't know about you joe i mean you could probably go like a a million different ways after watching that game i'll say that was the most entertaining union game uh, i've watched all all season long Uh, obviously it wasn't it wasn't their best performance because they were just getting you know they were giving up chance after chance after chance and uh, minnesota was you know at their throat the whole time but uh, I have my takeaway on it. I will ask you what your takeaway is first, since you're the guest. It was good, not great, and it's kind of just one of those gritty wins. It kind of reminded me of that Chicago game where Com scored the, the game winner on the road last year. Yeah. Um, but they didn't. They didn't play great. I don't think anybody's going to write home a, about it being a, a stellar soccer performance, but. I mean, you, you grit out a win on the road. You have a lot of last-ditch defending that works. And something the Union haven't been good at is countering with, you know, the four or five chances you get per game and finishing them. And, I mean, outside of that Sergio Santos whiff after the first goal, they did a pretty good job at that. And I think that's something that, again, if you compare past road performances to this year and last year, that's again one of the differences they continue to the things that we're so used to them doing and so used to screwing up in these key situations they're not doing and it still stuns us because yeah we're still not used to it (laughs) you know it's funny because i was sitting next to you last week on wednesday i came down for the first time this year and of course there was like a tornado and a one-hour delay i don't i don't know why i decided to come down to that game but i felt like strangely fitting that there would be some kind of like weather event whether it's a dust storm or like a monsoon or uh you know a haboob or something like that pick like any crazy uh weather event but you and i were sitting there and and watching the union rip off shot after shot after shot and it was in that three game homestand they had like 64 shots and two goals you know and in this game in this game they have 
14 shots. They score three goals, two of them that are on dead balls, and one is, is a recycled goal that a center back scores. So, number one, it's weird. Number two, did you did you see anything from this game that makes you feel like the offense is unstuck at all, or do you feel like they're still in this rut? True. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Because, you know, as much as the, I asked the players this, and they were kind of, they didn't really want to admit it that much, but you could tell it helped a little bit. And, you know, that the one thing I point to is, like, these transition opportunities. Like, the the second goal they scored in Toronto to, to win the game, the the first play that sets up the penalty, and I kind of mentioned the, the Santos miss in the first half, but even that's an opportunity there where they get to play a little more free. Um Obviously, they're still a better team at home, but being able to kind of stretch the field out a little bit more, I think, boosted their confidence a little bit. Again, I don't think it, it was a, a great performance from either Casper or Sergio Santos. Yeah. But I, it's enough where you see the confidence is still there, that the ideas are still there, and now it just comes down to can that translate at home and can – is there a way now what they see either on film or something tactically in, in practice that helps them break down this bunker problem that they're going to honestly have to deal with at least a few more times at home? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. You know, it was a great win. It was three points. I mean, the narrative was, a, you know, a big like smash and grab. Hey, found a way to win cliche, you know. Um, but but I, I, I think back to something that Ernst said last year and he said, uh, you know, we didn't have a plan B uh, when the possession game wasn't working. You know what I mean? Like they didn't have a way to kind of win games when other teams were boss in possession or or they were taken out of their element. And I, I don't know if this win was like a plan B kind of win necessarily because like you just said, it, they still haven't proven that they can beat a bunker at home. Um, but did it show it did it show to you in any way, shape or form that they can win games in in other ways? Um, a little bit, because you look at the comparisons you keep doing between even two years ago when, when Ernie Stewart was in the middle of getting this team together and and playing you know his way of soccer. That that dynamic transition soccer is something that Ernst has definitely already put his his influence on this team, and you can see it with the the players they have. Yeah. Um, but they still went back to. It's the 85th minute. You know, it's a little later than they usually do it, but let's throw El Senior on and see if he can do something. And it, <laughs> I mean, it ended yeah. up working with with the cross into Trusty. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if there's a true plan B yet. I think in their minds, there there's some way of um, coming up with a plan B. But I don't think we've completely seen it yet. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think you and I are probably on the same page with that. And that kind of segues me actually nicely into the next question, which is you looking at Jim Subs from the game. It seemed to me like he did, he wasn't – and I understand they played like a couple days earlier, so I don't know what the fitness situation is and who had what left in their legs. But it seemed like he went – so he goes Fabian first as a striker. Um then Craval comes in to play on the left side of the diamond, and he moves Montero forward to the tip of the diamond. 
And keep in mind, this is four days after he mixed it up and he had Montero play as the number 10 in the 4-2-3-1 in the Colorado game. And then he brings on El Sino in the final five minutes. So it seemed to me like they were going to sit there and try to play for the 2-2 and play for the point and get the hell out of there. Uh, and then he makes the other offensive sub and they score the game winner off of it. So what, what did you what did you make of how he patterned that? I was convinced it was going to be Fabian Corval and then Colin, honestly. I, I thought once they got up, once it was 2-1, I thought they were going to kind of bunker in a little bit, maybe play for a third goal. Um, but the market, I thought it was going to be a straight swap, Fabian for Aronson at first. Yeah. That feels natural, but if you look back, I think it was the Galaxy game when, when Marco got hurt, when this whole ankle lingering issue started, he, he played as that, I guess you want to call it a faux second striker yeah. uh, role. Or yeah, he did. Number yeah. 10, whatever, whatever you want to describe that role as. Uh, so I, I understood where that was coming from. I think Craval, that was a Craval game regardless. Once once they score one goal and, and you realize they're in the mix of points. Uh, but I, I do like the, the aggressiveness with Osinio. I did not expect to see him in, in the final five minutes. And, I mean, kudos to Jim for at least going for it and getting three points. Yeah. But I, I thought this was going to trend toward a more defensive sub game, and, and the first two definitely did. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, you know, let's let's carry it on with Fabian then. Uh, number one, in your estimation, what the hell is wrong with him? Is it just an injury thing? And number two, does him not going to the Gold Cup uh, help the union or does it hurt the union? Uh, I'm so so kind of confused on the whole situation. You know, uh, I think it's coming from he's a veteran player. He's got this ankle injury. He's been hurt in previous seasons, and he wants to make sure mentally, physically, he's 100%. Yeah. And I, and because they have the, the safety net in Aronson, and Montero can play the 10 if necessary, because there's that midfield depth, the staff is okay with him working back to that 100% level he needs to be at. But then, you know, he, he's flying down to the... Mexican national team camp. I don't know if you saw the, the Univision report today yeah. or yesterday. Yeah, that's what I was referencing because it looks like it looks like what he went down for like a day or two, and then they they just decided he's not fit enough. Is that what is that what we're taking away from that? I I believe so. Based off of you know, obviously my, my translation isn't great. <laughs> I should have paid a lot more attention in high school Spanish class. Yeah, so yeah, that's from all the reports I'm reading. That that sounds like it. So. I mean, yeah, he, he's a better player than Aronson. That's a no-brainer. Is he going to help against Red Bulls? Sure. Uh, but then you run into the issue with the, the whole Open Cup BS, with the, with the international spots, and, you know, you look down the roster, and is there going to be a spot for him, you know, in, in that D.C. game? And then if you look, you project to the end of June, okay, he's healthy for New England and NYC, so I guess, at the end of the month when he might have been away for the Gold Cup knockout round and the end of the group stage, I guess that's where it helps the union, but I don't see it being a massive help against Red Bull because if he's still not at 100%, you assume they start Aronson, and then you look forward to that Open Cup game, and I think Jim has kind of hinted at playing as close to a homegrown domestic 11 as possible. I assume that's changing a little bit, being D.C. the opponent on the road. 
but you have to start Elliott. You have to start Madunyanin. You go down the roster, you have to start Santos or, or Casper. He might get squeezed out just because of the, the number of international spots he can have to use. I know it's such a weird thing, isn't it? And like it's it's a, it's a shame because like exactly what they needed in that home stand was for somebody to be able to unlock a defense, unlock a bunkering defense, you know, show some creativity in the final third. I like Brendan's game, I really do. But like he's just it's that final ball, that final shuffle of the feet that he's not doing right now. I I kind of like in the, the Brendan Aronson situation right now too in Avengers when uh, Spider Man's like looking up to Tony Stark <laughs> and he's like. He's like, after, you know, after some of these games, you can see him in the locker room. He's like talking with either Jim or <laughs> experienced players. He's like, man, I got really banged up today. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of like, Mr. Stark, you know, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. Am I allowed to participate in the Avengers or whatever? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a random comparison, but I really, really like it. I'm re- I, I came around to it in about 30 seconds after you said it. I might actually use that, but I'll give you credit for it. Yeah. But he still doesn't have that that physical presence because he's 18 years old. (laughs) He does kind of look like Peter Parker in some of the movies, some of the actors that they've had play play him. If you you were casting Spider Man, I mean, he would probably fit the bill. (laughs) But but that's what it it feels like right now. He's He's still getting all these experiences in. He's in a year or two when he puts on, you know, a little more weight, widens out, hits the weight room a little more. He can win these physical battles, but right now, yeah. with these teams and all these defensive midfielders across the league, that it's obviously an underrated position. But when, when these experienced guys like Char come in and they they know how to rough you up and take you out of your game, that's when you need Fabian, and yeah. that's when you get, especially in that Portland game. I mean, Aronson, he didn't do anything, and I feel like it was kind of the same way with Ozzy Alonso on Sunday. Well, maybe in the next podcast uh, we can do we can make an entire starting 11 of Avengers and we'll put them on the field and we'll see who they are. I'll I'll say like uh um who's the biggest villain in MLS? Is there a villain? He can be Thanos. Um, oh man. Maybe the there, referees, there, maybe Geiger, Mark is. Geiger can be Thanos. Yeah. They're both bald. I, <laughs> I know, I know. He's too much of a he's too good of a quote, and uh, he does too much in the ter- in the way of good publicity for him to ever be a villain. You know, <laughs> if, if, if Balotelli came over, then absolutely. <laughs> yeah, why always me? That would be perfect. Um, or, or if that Suarez rumor comes true with Miami, that would he would be like the perfect villain. Okay, I can get behind that. Yeah, I can get behind that. Maybe that's an exercise we'll do for the next time. That's good. I'll write that down. I'll write that down right now, actually. <laughs> Um, where, where, where are you and Sean on, um, Sergio Santos right now? Because I've been beating the, I don't know if I've been beating the drum necessarily on this podcast, but I still, I was saying as early as week five, six, seven, four, five, six, seven, that I still like in the little, in the very little that we saw of him, I still felt like he had the best nose for goal. 
And if you take away, you know, the whiff on the right side and the, and the fact that he missed on that counterattack the other day, which is the most ridiculous counterattack I've ever seen, by the way. I've literally never seen the fullback just stick to the other guy and leave the ball handler wide open to go one-on-one with the goal, the goalkeeper. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. But, it um, really was. Uh, yeah, but um, – but then if you look on the other side, so that's a glass half empty, right? Glass half full on Santos, as you say, he didn't get on the score sheet, but he drew both of the dead balls that they scored off of. So are you glass half full on Santos after that game or glass half empty? I think, I mean, we, we tend to get the stick about being more of the positive podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, you guys do, yeah. So I guess I have to be half full on Santos, which I am actually. I think it's it's one of those things where – I don't think we have a full sample size on him yet where you see the, the bits and pieces you saw in the New England game, just how, how pacey he is and how he takes advantage of these shots uh, on goal in the final third when he's given them. Uh, you, but then you see the opposite with that missed counterattack in, in Minnesota. Yeah. So I think, the, the, I think the pieces are there, and I think once he finally gets the, these consistent run of games, which he is, you know, he everything seems to be – working fine for him at, at the moment health-wise, I think the, the the ceiling is still pretty high on him, but it, your job is to score goals in this league, and David Akam is still the, the co-best scorer on this team, and he's been off the roster for how many weeks now? Yeah, like three or four now, three and a half weeks? Yeah. Four games, that, something that, like that? Yeah. That's the kind of counterpoint I make to Glass Half Full is, He's got to start making this significant impact. If not, you got to start working your connections in Europe and see if you can get somebody on the cheap in the summer. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's funny you you point out that you're the positive podcast because I don't think Sean has ever said anything negative in his entire life, if you think about it. Like, has Sean Sean ever said anything negative about a union player ever? Yeah, it's if if I'm um I think I think it's less that I'm so negative and more that he's just so positive. That's my cop out answer to that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I guess it's just for me uh obviously this year I can see the difference between even last year's team. Yeah. And how and how the, the quality has increased. So I'm not it, it isn't where like 2016, 2017 it's June, it's panic mode. This team's in a slump because they do have that quality. I mean, you and I can talk for for days and days about the, the talent Jamiro Montero has. Yeah. And yeah. That's pretty evident. I'm ready to say, dude, like, honestly, I wrote this in, like, the one article I wrote this month about soccer, but I'm, I'm ready to say that he's a top t- – like, he's a top 10 union player um, as far as, like, talent and just, like, what what level oh, he's at. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't, I don't know who the hell else you would put in there. Like, I don't know if he's top five, but, like – he could, you could certainly push it. I mean, the even the Colorado game, you're looking at, and when you see him in person, you kind of appreciate the skill set more. His recovery runs and just his IQ tracking back defensively. Yeah, and, and his on the ball ability. He's so technically gifted. Where he was kind of one of those things where Jim and Ernst kept teasing and teasing. Oh, this guy's really good. This guy's really good. In that like three or four weeks that so they're waiting for him to be cleared, and now it's like, well, whatever, whatever the transfer fee is, that that Mets is going to have is going to set valuation wise. Yeah, pay it. But isn't this like kind of a referendum on 
Jay Sugarman a little bit because if, if they go into the Gold Cup break and the transfer window first place in the East, I mean, you're never going to have any more justification ever to, to spend, you know? I mean, oh, they, they already dumped they already dumped the Com, They dumped Derek Jones. They dumped CJ and Keegan. I mean, so they showed that they were serious about getting rid of some of those those higher paying contracts and whatnot. But now, now the, the methodology that you've used has worked. I mean, if Jay doesn't spend now, like, will he ever spend? Yeah, I think the, the referendum on Jay is Montero. Regardless of it, if it's in September or October, or if it's in the off season, I think he is the player now. We've, we've seen he didn't go through how many, like loan disputes, or you know, Carlos Valdez obviously sticks out as as the one that was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. But this is a guy you have to keep. Yeah, yeah. I think. Look, should they spend in in the transfer window in the summer? Yes. The the, the team is too thin. You look at it now, going in the red, I think nineteen guys are available because of international duty, injuries, whatever. They need extra help. Some of these guys. Like Mbizo and Real, yeah. But what's stopping them from progressing into the lineup? Obviously, Wagner's played so well, but Mbizo has that that pass they gave him at the start of the year. He hasn't taken it yet. Mm. The striker situation becomes a lot more iffy. If we're being honest, even if Corey Burke comes back in that three month span, he's not playing right now. He's not going to make an impact. If we're being blunt about it, maybe he comes on as like a super sub, like ten or fifteen minutes. But yeah, you, can keep, yeah. you can be in shape as much as you are, but you, you can't play in games. You're going to lose that touch. I mean, there are holes. They're not massive holes on this roster. Yeah, yeah. No, but I if hear. You're Jay, if you're Jay Sugarman, you look at Ernst, and he's hit on the majority of the signings. It's not like Ernie where it's half hit, half miss. Well, that's the other thing that he can use. Yeah, Ernst can go to him and say, and Jim can go to him and say, look, uh, Ernst knows what he's doing, like his track record in a short period of time. Um, and I mean, even if Montero, even if we're giving credit to Ernie for Montero, like uh, Ernst ultimately which is, which was the one I who... I think is a, a, a stretch just because I get it the Dutch connections, but... You got to get it over the finish line. I mean, Ernst was the one who got this signature. I mean, you can say all you want about timing. Like, if he wasn't ready to come to the United States at that point, like then you can't do anything about it. But I, I like in most in honestly, the best thing to do is say, hey, if Ernie scouted the guy and knew the guy cool, Ernst got it over the finish line. You give both of them credit. But either way, you say to Jay, look, we we regardless, we nailed this signing and we nailed the Kai Wagner signing and we nailed and Sergio Santos looks like a good signing so far. So. Um, yeah, I mean, if Jay's there's not no, going to budge no on... Jay Simpsons or Andersons in this bunch. No, there's no... Cl- there, I mean, yeah, the jury's still out on some guy, but they're, on some guys, but there's no Raiz and Boley in here. You know what I mean? So it's not like it's not like Jay can say, yeah, but... You know, there's no, there's no yeah, but in this situation. So that's why I'm just sitting here thinking, like, if they can't convince him to do something now, then they never will, you know? Um, but so, they've kind of... In a way, they've constrained themselves, too because of the international spot. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, that's, it's... That, that's the one issue, you know, I, I understand all these, you know, free agents, whatever, who's interested in coming to the U.S., but you're really narrowing yourself down to 
either dual citizen, American coming back from abroad, uh, in um, inside MLS trade, possibly USL. I don't know what I don't know what they can do with the roster constraints on the international spot side. Because yeah. the ma- majority of those guys with international spots are playing. No, it's right. Not like you, right. It's not like you could loan one of these guys down to steal each week like they did at the start of the year. Maybe you do that with Cornell and have Freeze be the backup keeper. Yeah. But you're, that, their roster flexibility is a little limited. I'm, I'm sure they, they've gone through all the possibilities, but I kind of threw this out there a couple weeks ago just as like a throwing something against the wall and hope it sticks. There's a guy like Andrew Wooten who might be, you mm. know, yeah. in Germany. he's American, he's a Ford. So it, it has to fit, I guess, that kind of profile where – He's familiar with Ernst. Ernst is familiar with him. It's a position of need. And then, can you finagle your way around the international thing? If Elliot gets his green card, that changes it and makes it a little more open. But we've been kind of waiting on those green cards to happen, and the last time it did, No, I know. They just got to find some corrupt politician and have them move things along here. I mean, it can't be that hard to find a corrupt politician, you know, if all the if all the other if all the other teams can do it. Um, Well, one of these these politicians has to know, like, there is a soccer team. Oh, I know. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, there was, uh, you know, Pelegi or whatever his name was. He was the dude from down there. I mean, surely like Kirkland, somebody can, somebody can help us out here. Somebody can make a, is your friend Brendan Burke still in office? (laughs) A Brendan, uh, Brendan Boyle, the dude from the Northeast. Yeah. 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 Funny story. Yeah. Funny story about him. He offered me a job one time. Did Um, he really? Yeah. And the reason I didn't take it is because he told me I couldn't write about soccer on the side. And then ironically, like five years later, he makes a joke about how soccer's dumb. And so I'm sitting here thinking, huh, maybe there's a little bit more to that than just the the, the job part of it, you know? <laughs> but he's also a Notre Dame grad. I wasn't sure if I wanted to work for a Notre Dame graduate, so. Yeah, um, yeah, that, that, that <laughs> tests the waters a little bit too much. The money was also shit, too, because this was like before he was a state this was before he was an, uh, a federal rep, I guess. And this is when he was a state rep. So those jobs pay like $33,000 or something like that, you know, which like. I mean, it's pretty much the same as stocker blogging. That's <laughs> true. Uh, sure. It wasn't much difference from, different from being a freelance journalist, was it? Jesus. Uh, Brendan Boyle, no friend of the Philadelphia, or the Always Soccer in Philadelphia program. Um, sorry, I got distracted there for a second because I just saw that Andrew McCutcheon tore his ACL. And that uh, that really sucks, man. Um, it does. I'm trying to think of a soccer connection, but I don't have one, so I'll move on. Um, all right, I got two more questions for you, macro questions. Um, this is a question from a listener, but I actually thought I'd pose it to you. MLSsoccer.com has the union all the way up to two in their power rankings. They got LAFC, they got the union, and I think it's like Seattle and Galaxy or something like that. Do you think that they're the union of the second-best team in MLS? I guess that's what the power rankings are, right? Yeah, I mean, I I would agree with, you have to agree with it right now, but, I mean, I'm looking at Portland right now as that team where they're going to get, they're going to catch fire. They have talent, they have all these home games. They're going to be up there. Atlanta United, I mean, Joseph Martinez just scored four goals in a week. Yeah. Their, their defense is playing unreal. 
Uh, Red Bull, a lot, nobody's talking about Red Bull, but here they are again with, you know, they acquired Emma Tarek for like a fourth-round draft pick. Their fullbacks are playing well again. Mm-hmm. Probably, well, probably the best combo in the league, fullback-wise. And they, they've done it without EWP really doing much. I know, I know, it's crazy. Like, which is the Red Bull way. I know, um, it is the Red Bull way. And, and, and you know... I can't. You can't go to the galaxy because it's Laton. Yeah. Well, like, if they had really beat, if they had beat New England, they would probably be up. They would probably have been second, I guess. Yeah. 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 So I'd say they're about fifth or sixth when you look at like the general overall, which teams are going to end up making runs. But they are the only other team in the AFC to have a double-digit positive goal differential. Yeah. It, they've scored the most goals in the East. They're first in the East. I, you can't really make a a massive argument against them other than they blew a three game homestand. It's very true. Um, all right, last one for you. Uh, what did you think of the car promo video where the YouTube guy beat the shit out of the car with the sledgehammer? I read something on one of the responses on Twitter was hilarious. It was some guy saying like, "Way to play into the stereotype that we're a bunch of like." assholes and vandals and we don't treat opposing fans the right way uh newsflash dude it was a stunt yeah and it's a stunt they've done each of the past three years now too they just have they just they yeah i feel like the marketing meeting was like hey here's new idea one new idea two new idea three and you know what they either don't fit in our budget or they don't sound good enough Let's go back to beating up the car. <laughs> but they did it in a high visibility area. It, was, it wasn't like park it outside of the stadium and we'll let the fans hit it with the sledgehammer. Like, let's at least get people to cut. Like, I, I get it from a publicity standpoint. Like, I was a vehement defender of the chief tattoo officer because I'm like, whatever you can get to have people talking about you, it's fine. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, I just come, I come from, like, I, and this is also like an inside baseball thing where I know some of the, the marketing and, and the, the brains behind the operation. Mm-hmm. And I know they're so much smarter than that. And they've, they've proven they're so much more creative than that. And they've put out really good content mm-hmm. this year. And to go back to like, hey, we're just going to smash the car, but do it in a new location. At least to me, that's just like, eh, cool. I, I get it. I think, it, you know, but it's also... The whole the Red Bulls are never going to be your rival. Yeah, that's the other side of it. I mean, that's but that's like an A side to me. Like uh, the whole we ask Jim that every year. You know, is Red Bull a rival? But uh, I, I guarantee you, tomorrow at his press conference, it's going to be a, somebody's <laughs> going to ask a layup Red Bull rival question. Yeah, he's going to get the the answer he's given already, and then we're going to fire back. And see. They're a tertiary rival to the Red Bulls. Yeah. You're kind of just the. The ignored stepchild on on I ninety five in the rival. Right, I'll say I've used this example before. Uh, if the Red Bulls are um, Mi- uh, Michigan and New York City is Ohio State, uh, DC United is Michigan State, and the Philadelphia Union are I don't know Penn State, some other team that thinks they're a rival, maybe. It's just tough because I could I could put an even better comparison. Okay, like, the Red Bulls in DC are the the smart older children that go to these Ivy League schools and have a ton of success. 
NYC comes along, okay, they're flashy, they get good grades, they go to a good school, and then the union are just like, hey, we're just good enough to like Rowan or Cabrini. <laughs> and and we want we're we think we're smart. We want to pay attention to yeah. we want you to pay attention to us and all our accomplishments. Yeah. But here our brothers are graduating from like Penn and, and Yale and Harvard and yeah. doing much better things in life. Yeah, if, if Red Bull is uh Saint Joe's prep and uh New York City is Roman Catholic and DC United is like um what's another good school? Uh Germantown Academy. Then the Philadelphia Union or Boyertown. How about that? Yeah, insert insert small school in Jersey or PA here. Yeah, insert shithole school in Berks County where I went to school. Um, yeah, we've really reached all the comparisons. <laughs> tonight. I know, we've got on a lot of different tangents here, but it's been good. Um, Joe Tanzi from Pro Soccer USA and the Union Soccer Podcast. You guys are doing a Gold Cup watch party at Yards uh, coming up. Tell me all about it. Yeah, so we've been kind of had this in the works for the last couple of weeks and got confirmation think, at the end of last week. So we're teaming up with the Suns Bend doing a, a national team watch party. It kind of makes sense because they're also playing Guyana and Juan Creval, uh probably going to play that game. But we're also going to do beforehand, uh, do a, a live sit down with, with Jim Curtin and uh, cool. we'll just go over this. First half of the season, Jim's been nothing but good to us when we've had him on the podcast. He's he's very honest, and he's even more honest when he's in those types of situations. So I would, yeah, I, I would obviously I'm tooting our own horn here, but I would highly recommend coming out and it, you're going to have beer and watch your soccer team. So at the bare minimum, you got that. Joe Tanzi from Pro Soccer USA and the Union Soccer Podcast. If you listen to this podcast, you probably already listen to his, and you probably already follow him on Twitter. But if you don't, it's at JTanzi90. Joe, thanks, man. Uh, I'm glad we could do it again. I'm glad the reception uh, was suitable. And uh, we'll shoot for a third time sometime soon, all right? Yeah, we'll make more obscure references in the third time. That's right. We'll make more obscure references, and we'll get Sean uh, on the podcast to make a negative comment. Sean and his bullhorn on. Negadelphia, Sean Brace. All right, Joe, thanks, man. Thanks, Joe. All right. All right, it's time for your questions, your comments, your concerns, and this week's uh, question. It's not a poll question. I almost said poll question. The question I asked you was to explain what your favorite sure point was because it's that time of the year. It's a summer. Uh, And if you're lucky, actually, we may have another special guest uh, on the podcast. But uh, one more point I wanted to make about the game itself. Um, Chris Penso, I thought, played a really weird advantage in the first half on the play where uh, uh, somebody got fed. The union fouled somebody near the top of the ball, just outside the 18. The ball remained in Minnesota's possession. And then they got a shot off that was blocked. And then after the block shot, he pulled it back for advantage and gave them a free kick. Um, which seemed really strange to me because normally the way that you would rule that is that the advantage is that, number one, they retain possession and got the shot off. You know, you don't go two steps in. It's not like you say, well, the shot was blocked, therefore they didn't get an advantage. No, that's like regardless. It's not whether the shot was blocked or not. It's the fact that they got the shot off is the advantage that you played. So I don't like him pulling it back two steps. I like, you know, infraction, advantage, one sequence, you know, and then make your decision off that one sequence. But, but by allowing it to go two steps, that's that that sets a crappy standard to me because it's just you're 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 not supposed to play any further than a couple seconds forward. Um, 
actually joining the podcast now for the first time. I'd like to introduce my daughter Cameron, uh, who has some things to say. Cammy, what do you have to say? Eh. Eh. You say eh. I'll try to get her back on a little bit later. Uh, now to more important things. Um, all right, Richard Saunders said, what is your favorite shoreside brewery? Uh, where does the South Jersey Beach and North Jersey Beach start and begin? He says Asbury Park. I don't know. I, I feel weird, like Long Beach Island, like LBI. Is that the the, the dividing point? I feel like anything north of um, Atlantic City kind of feels weird to me. But that's just because I never really went up there. I never really vacationed up there. So I guess that sort of depends on where you where you went growing up, doesn't it? Uh, my favorite shoreside brewery, it's still Hidden Sands, uh, right off of, uh, is it Washington Is Washington Road, the name of the road? It's it's literally the first exit off the Garden State Parkway after you after coming off the um, Atlantic City Expressway. It's really, really easy to get to. You guys have to go try it. Balanced beer list. Oh, there she is. Hey, Cammy, say hi. Hi. All right. Um, yeah, Hidden Sands. I like uh, Tuckahoe. I like Ludlam Island and Slack Tide. Cape May is great. Uh, been meaning to get down to what are some of the other ones down there? Is Bucket Brigade another one that somebody um, recommended to me? Yeah, I've been to Tuckahoe. I've been to Vinyl. I've been to Hidden Sands, Cape May, Ludlam Island, Slack Tide. Um, most of most of them in that vicinity. So if you have any others that I haven't been to, just give me a shout and I'll go there for sure. Um, now that Jim has confirmed that he is using Gaddis because he wants to build up attack from only one side, uh, will teams catch on to this like herpes at the wind drift on a hot Wednesday night? Well, he didn't say that they're, they're, he's using Gaddis because he only – like, I mean, I would say that they're only going to build up from the left side. What he's saying is that he wants one fullback to always be back. So it's not, you know, if Ray goes forward, he wants Wagner to be back. He doesn't want both guys to be caught forward at the same time. A lot of the time that just manifests itself in the left back getting forward and Ray staying back, but then you unbalance it, you know what I mean? So um, I get it. I, I just, that's a common philosophy. And if you're playing with wingbacks too, like in Casa, I played wingback for South Philly, and normally what you would say is your weak side wingback, if play is on the right side, your left wingback holds back and rotates. And if play is on the left side, your right side wing back pulls back and he rotates. So you're always pulling back your weak side wing back. It's the same way the union play with their fullbacks in a four-man back line. You're always pulling back the weak side fullback to stay at home. So, um, Let me see here. Union Hulk checking in. He says, which one of these fancy-ass Euro strikers is coming to the Philadelphia Union on a free transfer to keep us all doopy dancing? Uh, can we go all in before Miami shows up and signs Messi and Ronaldo and Suarez and Jimmy McButthole? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Aaron Johansson, his name was tossed around. You think Balotelli would come here? I don't know. I, I, um, I mean, like I said, I still like Sergio Santos. You got Corey Burke coming back. I don't know if Corey Burke is the answer or not. I, I would be interested in, in taking a, taking the temperature of the fan base on that. Do you, do you think, uh, does a Sergio Santos Corey Burke pairing do anything for anybody? Um, you know, I still would have liked to see a common Santos play together, but we're never going to see that. I don't know if Corey Burke is the answer. Um, I, I don't know if he's any different than Casper Shabilko as a player. Like, I do see a lot of separation between Shabilko and Corey Burke and what they do and what their skill sets are. I don't know. Um, Frank says, do we actually know anything about Fabian? He looked ineffective up top. Now he's hurt again. I, I don't. 
Uh, it seems like we care less because we're winning. Yeah, I think people care less because you're winning. I mean, obviously, it'd be if they were crappy and Fabian was terrible, people would be saying, wow, this was supposed to be the greatest signing of all time, and now we're not getting anything out of him. I think he's just hurt, man. And like Joe said, I, it doesn't really help. It doesn't necessarily help the union because how effective is he going to be against Red Bull this week? Uh, I think you just get to the Gold Cup break, try to get him healthy and see what happens, you know. Mike says, why can't the striker strike? And uh, Spina Colada says, can we alter our immigration policy and get our starting number nine back? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Corey Burke, does Corey Burke do anything for anybody? <clears throat> you guys know how I feel about him. I don't, I don't, I don't know if he's amazing. I don't see him as being like a 15 goal scorer in this league, but I mean, I think Corey Burke, uh, well, he, you could certainly justify putting him on the field in these last couple games, you know? Um, so, um, let me see. Uh, DJ Edwards says, are you concerned with Curtin's lack of rotations for some of the older guys, Bedoya, Harris, Gaddis, Ilsenio? Uh, do you have any worry this will hurt their chances at contention late in the season? Uh, no, I mean, I mean, yes and no, I guess, to take a John Hackworth phrase. I mean, yes, for the fact that, you know, you're going to, um, you know, cumulatively, cumulatively, uh, you know, you get more tired and your legs just start to go as the, as the year goes on. But they do have the Gold Cup break. Um, you know, they're going to be playing Open Cup in that time, but I don't, I don't think that's going to be too much. Um, we'll see how far they go in the Open Cup. I would not, I would not prioritize the Open Cup this year with with the unit being good and being in first place. But that's just me. I think you can make some headway there. Um, but you know, Elsino's not. Elsino's coming off the bench, so we really wouldn't worry about him. I mean, they're addressing that problem by only bringing him off the bench to begin with. Gaddis is 28 years old; he can probably run for days, you know. Um, and he's not a guy who bombs the flanks anyway, right? So I, th I think he's not doing as much. Cam, come on, um, he's not doing as much running as other people. Harris, I might worry about. I try to get him. A, the problem is you don't have a backup for Harris because of the way that they play. He's such a unique dude. I mean, who are you putting in there? You're not putting Derek Jones in there anymore. You put Warren Craval in there. Play Montero and Bedoya. Play Montero as a six, but Bedoya. I don't really know. It's a, it's a good question. It's something to keep an eye on. Uh, East Coast Cheesehead says Delaware beaches are superior uh, because there's no goddamn beach tags or sales tax. Yeah, amen. Uh, plus Dogfish Head. Yeah, I still haven't gotten down to Dogfish Head uh, yet either. Is that like a pain in the ass drive? It's like down near Dover, isn't it? Um, somebody DM me and tell me if Dogfish Head is doable as like a day trip. Uh, on the union side, he says, I don't want to be too negative, but Harris is uh, is 34 years old. Who is his replacement if he gets hurt? Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, I guess Warren Craval comes in and plays a six, but he's such a different type of player. Um, God, what is the number six depth chart? Warren Craval, Jameer Montero, uh, Jack Elliott go go play in there. It's just weird. It's such a unique situation because you build your your four four two with two shuttlers on either side of a really unique number six. You know, it's not like like Andrea Pirlo. Who's who's the backup for him too? It's the same. It's the same way. You know, um, I don't really know. Yeah, if Medudinin goes down injured, I don't know. I don't know what that would mean for this team. Um, Luke says Wildwood greater 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 sign. Uh, Giants, the Giants are a dumpster fire, says uh, his concern is that teams with an attacking mindset uh, against us seem to run over our midfield. How do we adjust? Also, we all fucking hate Red Bull. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, teams that have really, really good midfielders, I mean, this is not some hot take or anything, but teams with really, really good midfielders have been able to counter the union's like good possession game. 
Um, you know, I know they're playing on the road, but Jonathan Dos Santos and the guys that the Galaxy have, they the Uni couldn't really get a lot of possession against them. Minnesota has Gregush and they have uh, Osvaldo Alonso. You know, they were able to boss possession against the Union. Uh, even Portland having a guy like Diego Chara and Diego Valeri on the field, they were um, you know, they were able to to carve out a lot of chances on the counterattack. So. Um, yeah, attacking mindset's one thing. You try to overrun the union and not let them get settled into that into that possession game, but also just having a solid D mid, a solid number six, number one who can help you in possession, but also can help help create that bunker that the union have been trouble breaking down. Uh, Matt says my celebration after Trusty's goal made me realize that for better or worse, I've bought into this team. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was great. I mean, it was a hell of a game. It was an entertaining game. I mean, and good for Austin, too, specifically because he, he, he was his guy who scored the equalizer. Kind of a weird play. Uh, he, he kind of pinched down because to take away the cross because uh, the, the the Minnesota player got to the end line. Um, and Madunian was pointing at Trusty like he was annoyed with him after the goal. But it's it's and I'm annoyed with Madunian whenever he points his hand at somebody else because he doesn't do a lick of fucking defending. I know he scored the free kick in the game, but Madunian doesn't have the right to fucking point at anybody for a defensive mistake. Okay. Cause they have never pointed at him once for his, his defensive shortcomings. So if trusty was not a 20, 21 year old homegrown, whatever he is now, and he was an experienced center back, you know, he should turn to Madunian and say, look, look, pal, don't fucking point at me when it comes to defense. Cause I've carried your shit for two years now and I haven't complained about it one bit, you know? Um, he says Cape May Point. Uh, Matt also says Cape May Point is an elite shore town, quiet with good restaurants and bars, and a bike ride away. Cape May Brewery is also great. Cape May is awesome. Yeah, they redid the uh, the tap room a couple years ago. I want to say two years ago, where before you just went into like the it's like an airport hangar looking kind of building, and before you just went in there and they had the tap room in there. And now they have an outdoor area as well. It's kind of what Evil Genius did, where it used to be just the indoor area uh, exclusively, and now you have an outdoor area where you can take like your dog and whatnot. So. Um, Cammy and Baxter actually came to Evil Genius a while back, didn't you, Cam? Didn't you come to Evil Genius? Yeah, she came with us. Um, uh, where did, I lost my place here. I'm sorry. Um, Craig says, "Do you think Sugarman will pay up to improve the field? Uh, grow lights, heated pipes, etc." <clears throat> God, yeah. I mean, well, it's nothing they can do right now. Um, I, I would like to know, I would like to see a feasibility study on how much money they would save. Like, like, give me a, give me a, not a pie chart, but like a side by side that shows like, Hey, if we pay, if we, can we save enough money from having Bethlehem steel play at Talon and not rent out another area and then use the extra money that we save to like make this field more sustainable to hold two teams. I don't know, like physically if it's possible, I don't know about, I didn't, Get, I worked on a golf course, but I don't have, I don't have a turf management degree or anything. That's like, I couldn't tell you like how, how, what, what you would have to do for the field to hold up for rugby, for Bethlehem steel, for the union, for like the college cup and what, and whatever assorted shit they play there. But, uh, apparently after the rugby, it was pretty bad. And I don't know. All I know is that Ernie would be flipping shit. Um, if that was the case, but look, I mean, uh, my answer, I guess would be Sugarman's not paying up for anything. Is he? So I think he's going to spend money on the field. I don't know. Um, EJ says Ocean City, Maryland uh, is his John. Also, uh, considering their record so far, are you surprised they haven't extended Curtin? Um, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, 
it's such a weird thing to have him like on a lame duck one year, one year um, contract. You would think that they sh- like show him that they're on his side and look, you've done a good job so far. We're going to keep you around. But wouldn't it also be a little naive to like bring him back on a one year and then extend him like what, like five months, like six months later? Like it sort of lends itself to the fact that to the idea that like they didn't know what they were doing. You know what I mean? Like we're only going to bring you back on a one year. Oh, now six months later, we're going to extend you. I don't know. I don't know. It just seems weird to me. Um, Paula Dinger says, why does Fafa eat so goddamn much? Uh, does he? I don't know that. Um, Jack Fritz Adelphia's legendary says, if the Mbizo news is true, what should Ernst do? Uh, what's the Mbizo news? Should I know about that? Uh, I'll Google and come back to that. Uh, Tuk- Luna Tuka Maisie says, great goal by Trusty. I think El Senior needs to be almost exclusively, almost exclusively a substitute. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I mean, he started against Colorado, but I don't think he has a start other than that, does he? Uh, Vince says, do we really feel like this is a team that can sustain through the season? Uh, I feel like we're already seeing them come back down to earth. Thanks, Cam. Uh, all right, last one. Especially with these impotent strikers, any word on the summer transfer? I don't know. Um, I, th- I think you get to the Gold Cup break and see what the hell happens. All right, I'm going to get you a bottle. Just hang on. Hang on. All right, sorry about that. Just had to feed my daughter. Um, Josh says, Delaware beaches are better than the Jersey Shore. Uh, Spina Colada says, it seems like Tab Ramos hates the union. Why can't McKenzie and Real play over Doster and Kata? when they're awful. Yeah, I don't know. It was great to see the um the see them beat France, man. What the hell? what the hell? Great. That was a great win. Come from behind, 3 to 2. Uh, but yeah, I mean it is a bummer that that McKenzie and Real aren't aren't a part of that, you know. I'd be lying if I said it, it wasn't uh you, you know, it's it takes some it takes a little bit out of it knowing that they're not involved, you know. Klein says Dewey Beach is the best shore town. How cold will it be the day of the Union's first CONCACAF Champions League game? Let's not get a, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Um, Josh says, if you could make any change, renovation to Talon Energy Stadium, what would you do? I mean, I think you got you got to change the traffic parking situation somehow. There's got to be like another outlet to get out of there, you know. When I was down last week, it, it just reminded me of how bad it is, you know. Um, will Harris make it until October at this minute's rate? I don't know. <laughs> I think he was fine last year, right? Didn't he play a lot of minutes last year? look that up um and Matty g i'll give him the last word he says the delaware beaches are greater than the jersey shore i think i might have to agree with that i'm a Mays landing guy my wife's um parents have a place um on the river in Mays landing right off of um 559 uh, summers point Mays landing road so we're on the egg harbor river there uh so it feels like you're at the poconos but you're at the shore you're only like 15 minutes from um from all the beaches and stuff like that all right anyway that'll do it for this episode episode 81 um I still need feedback on the live podcast. Went over and talked to the Larimer guys the other day, and they're totally down with it. They're ready to do it. They're looking forward to it. The brewery should be done around 4th of July weekend, uh, they think. So that'll give them two weeks. They'll be open for two weeks before we do the podcast. But, but yeah, I need to know what time. I, I'm thinking I want to do it from 5 to 6 or 5.30 to 6.30. I don't know if that messes up your tail your tailgating situation. I don't know uh, when y'all walk over to the stadium. Do you go a half hour early? Do you go an hour early? Um, I have an event that day from 12 to 3, so I think the soonest I can get down there is probably 4, right, Cammie? Um, but I would, I would prefer to do it from 5 to 6, I think. 
Uh, I had a suggestion to do it 4.30 to 5.30, but get at me and let me know what you want to do because I just we've got all the other details pretty much ironed out. You tell me what time you, um, you want to do it. It's your decision uh, because this is a people's po- a podcast for the people, and if no people listen to it, then what would the point be?